If you would like a free newsletter on this or other subjects, just give us a call at Christian Answers. The phone number is area code 512-218-8022. That's 512-218-8022. Or you could email us at cdebater at aol.com. That's cdebater at aol.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Larry Wessels, Director of Christian Answers of Austin, Texas, Christian Debater Ministries. I'm pleased to introduce to my audience a dear brother in the Lord, Richard Bennett, Director of Berean Beacon Ministries, an outreach to Roman Catholics. It is great to be here, Larry. For people that don't know you, you were a Roman Catholic priest for 22 years. Is that right? Please give us a short account of your life. Yes, I was a Catholic priest for 22 years. I was a Catholic altogether for 48 years, having grown up in Dublin, Ireland. I was trained uh, very early on in my education, in what we call secondary and elementary education, uh, by the Jesuits. And then I decided to become a Catholic priest, and I spent eight years in preparation it was a novitiate year and then six years to ordination when I was ordained a priest in Dublin, Ireland in 1963 and then one year in Rome, eight years in all. Then I spent uh, 21 years in uh, Trinidad West Indies as a parish priest carrying out the the work of a priest. I had the best academic training you could get finishing up in the city of Rome itself near the Vatican and I I really had a desire to bring Catholics to uh, what we thought was a way of being right with God so that they could get to purgatory and then that they finally could get to heaven. And I was great for doing penances and sacrifices. And then I was very devout in Trinidad, uh, baptizing babies, hearing people's confessions and doing all the sacraments. It was in 1972, I had a very serious accident where I was three days unconscious after the serious accident. And then after that time, when I got out of the hospital and the sanatorium, I began searching in the Bible for what is truth. It took me 14 years of comparing the Bible to Catholicism before I realized that I was dead in trespasses and sins and it was by grace alone that we are saved. I One night I got on the floor in my house and I cried out to God for faith and his grace to save a wretch like me, dead in trespass and sins, and he gloriously did that. It was about two months afterwards. I very reluctantly left the Catholic Church because my prayer after I was right with God by biblical salvation was that I could really love Catholics and give them the real true gospel of grace. That is grace alone, faith alone, and in Christ alone. But then in prayer over those two months after I was saved, the Lord showed me that I could best serve him and love Catholics if I left actually the priesthood and the Catholic Church and reached out to Catholics nonetheless. And um, I, I did that. I left uh, the priesthood in 1985 and uh, reached the States in 1986. And uh, I, um, I just 
prayed and prayed that I would have a love for Catholics to reach out. I thank the Lord that after one year as a missionary in China, I was able to start the ministry that I now have called BereanBeacon.org. It is to show Catholics the real truth of where salvation is in a person, not in any church. And it is by God's grace, not by any ritual that any church does. So this has been really wonderful. I've seen priests save. I saw two priests in Poland, you know, through our ministry. We have a Polish webpage, besides many other languages and, of course, in English. And I thank God that I have seen God's grace poured out. And that is my heart's desire, Larry, that Catholics would know the truth and that evangelicals in this very false ecumenical age would see the differences. Uh, I have a very interesting article on the webpage. Uh, are Catholics Christians? And we've had tremendous response to that, evangelicals whose eyes have been opened in reading that article. So it's with love for Catholics and to show the truth of Christ Jesus, that God will be glorified and many, many souls saved, particularly Catholics, to the glory of his name. Outstanding. That was a wonderful testimony, Richard. Uh, could you just real briefly tell us about the, you've written some books and you've already mentioned your ministry, but what are these books you've written and how can people find them? Yes, I have written or edited, uh, written some and edited others and uh, they have been amazing. I just thank God. Uh, our most well-known book is Far From Rome, Near to God, The Testimonies of 50 Converted Catholic priest since 1994 that book has sold steadily across the world in English and in other languages and uh, it's on the third edition now and uh, the other book that has my heart really displayed uh, my love for Catholics is the book I've written about Catholicism called Catholicism East of Eden Insights into Catholicism for the 21st Century this book is uh, published by Banner of True Trusts, like the uh, book of the 50 testimonies of former priests. And um, I thank God for that because the Lord has used that book and it brought many Catholics to himself by that book. Uh, the other book that my heart was in, in editing, together with Mary Hertel, is a book called The Truth Set Us Free, 20 former nuns tell their stories and that book has been used mightily of the Lord as well and I thank God for the, those women most of whom are still alive and active in reaching out to Catholics themselves and it is just a wonderful testimony of God's grace and the the other book I've written is called On the Wings of Grace Alone I've edited that and that is just 30 ordinary Catholics and uh, what we call lay Catholics and how the Lord brought them to salvation. That is a, an amazing book too. How can you obtain these books? Well, go to our webpage, bereanbeacon.org, and just go to the folder on the left-hand side, Books, and when you click on that, it gives all the details of how you can get those books. Outstanding. Well, Richard, uh, we're going to go into uh, showing people your videos now here across uh, particularly our audience on YouTube. But uh, many people don't know that you and me go to the same church here in Austin, Texas. So it gives me a special opportunity to be around you a lot just so we can do ministry work. But anyway, I want to thank you for allowing us to post your videos uh, on the Internet through YouTube and other Internet servers. 
We praise God and may souls be saved and the Lord glorified. Amen and amen. Amen. is God-given, utterly of his divine power to us worthless creatures, even those saved by grace, knowing that no good thing exists in us in our mortal flesh. It is completely God's work. It is unorchestrated. It is not planned or programmed by any means either pastoral or individuals in a church. It is totally God-given. It is usually seen, first of all, in a sense and shame for sin in believing Christian life as they sense a deeper need to be purified before God, to be sanctified, to live holy lives before God and to be overcomers, not just coming to church, but be overcomers in their daily life and people who give the gospel day by day to the lost. And that leads to the second part of revival. As God's people are revived, they move out with the true gospel and many come to the Lord and many come from being dead in trespasses and sins by the same grace of the Lord to life in Christ. That is a short summary of revival. In this presentation, what I wish to do is to give the biblical principles how we prepare for the sovereign work of God in our personal lives how we make ourselves ready because God has given us many precious promises in his word about reviving his, his people. And we see again and again in history how men and women have stood and held fast to these promises and have prepared for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and have been visited on high by the Lord. So I want to present the biblical principles from God's Word of how we prepare and how we lay hold of the promises of God and what are they and how they are laid out in the written Word of God's truth so that we may expect those great things like Paul talking about the riches of grace, the abundance of grace that we can see and expect these things in our life. And while we live in a day of utter apostasy and depravity, that we could nonetheless see God at move, moving in this church and in other biblical churches across 
this nation and other nations of the world. So the great work of revival is God's work. It is sovereignly God's work. We see that prayer, ardent prayer, in taking hold of the promises of God, has often preceded, has always preceded revivals. The two books that Ian Murray has written on revival, showing true revival and false revival, again and again, it's always prayer of God's people, an ardent prayer that has preceded revivals. It has always been that way. God has always recognized the prayer of his people based on the word of God and his promises. It has been a coming back to the written word of God and a desire to be sanctified before him. That those are his own desire to live lives that are more and more each day free from sin, that we have a sense of what Paul said in Romans 7, a deep personal sense that nothing good exists in me and my mortal flesh, that we know of ourselves we can do no good thing, but we know by his grace and power we can do all things in him who strengthens us. And this is the the uh, great principle also, prayer, coming back to God's word to be sanctified. And the Lord has often used, amazingly so, persecutions. Persecution has been used as a prelude to many revivals where the Lord has seen fit to see that his people came under chastisement from outside the believing community. One of the greatest revivals since the time of the Reformation has been in China. It was 48, 49 when you know, Mao Zedong took over and at the beginning the 800,000 or so believers were just the same as before. They were lukewarm. They were going under, under now, Mao Zedong and communism and things were getting worse. And then the people of China saw their need to be purified personally. Their need to be able to not only believe on him in the words of Philippians, but to suffer for his name. That was one of the texts that the Lord used with the believers. The need to be overcomers. The need to be willing to pray that the Lord would purify them. It has been amazing to see how true revival has come into China. It is, it'll be coming up to 60 years soon of that moving of the Spirit of God, the living God, through that nation. From 800,000 to 80 million or more. There's no census taken, but it is estimated and Christians who are truly standing strong. One of the deep privileges of my own personal life after I had left Roman Catholicism 
And finally, after two years, I was able to reach China. And in China itself, in Red China, I had the privilege of meeting some of the underground church and associating with them and hearing from them personally the work of God and what they were willing to sacrifice and how they wished to be purified and live holy lives unto God. It was one of the more awesome things in my own life. And the cassette tapes I got from Jonathan Chow through contacts that they had in Hong Kong, these, um, the underground church, later on to listen and to see how God had moved and still moves in China. God's people taking hold of the promises of God and seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now what those believers in China saw originally for nearly two years they were going under and then they saw the need to be purified that they saw even as people saved by God's grace having true doctrine they saw the need themselves to be purified to be more and more convicted of their need to be sanctified and they began reading the promises of God regarding their sanctification now God's promises regarding salvation his grace are absolute and unconditional but his promises regarding sanctification are conditional They're based on our cooperating and working together with his divine grace. That if we are overcomers, it's it's a condition that we are to see the need to be purified. And this is really, I think, where all true revival starts and where we have to admit It is a difficult start because it's difficult for you and for me to admit that in many ways we are like the Laodicean church. Now you may say, I'm a bit offended by that, you know, I don't, I'm not boastful that I, uh, you know, that I need nothing, that I have riches. But are we not those who need to buy raiment from the Lord? and take of the grace of the Lord so that we can walk as he walked, so that we may live holy lives as he lived a holy life, that we can really be purified in our love for the brethren and in our outreach to the lost. Do we really have that life that shows forth the glory of Christ Jesus day by day? Are we living lives that have been daily sanctified and purified by the reading of the word? Is that where we go for our spiritual reading? Are we immersed in the word of God? Is our cry like the prophet David in the psalm where he prayed, like, slay me lest I go into the pit unless you send forth your spirit? Are we like those who ardently desire to be purified lest we be like those who go down into the pit? Are we on fire that we would be purified? And this is 
what we need. We need to see that in many ways we are, as were the Laodiceans, in need of nothing. Many of us who come from you know, Bible-believing churches that are grace churches, we say we have the doctrines of grace, we have a good pastoral staff, we have good Sunday programs, we have programs for our children, we have this and we have this. Do we have a sense of our need to be purified? Are we living lukewarm Christian lives personally? How is our daily walk and fellowship with the Lord What is our desire that the Lord would purify us day by day, convict us of our sins as believers, lead us more and more to resemble the person of Christ Jesus? And it is amazing that again and again as we read the histories of revival, that that's where it begins. God's people having an ardent desire personally to be sanctified before him and then standing on his promises, standing on the great promises that he has given unto us, that we would know him in the power of who he is. I'd like you, if you have a Bible there, just to turn to Second Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 18 that the first great promise laid out as a statement in God's word is where many have looked and where we take our treasure house to open up to see just what it is that we behold as we are to Take hold of the promises of our God. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even by the Spirit of the Lord. We behold as in at last the glory of the Lord. We see God's glory, and as we see that glory, we are transformed from glory to glory. Now, what Paul here is giving as an example is Moses seeing something of the glory of God as the law was given on Mount Sinai, so much so that they there was a reflection on his face. And it's nothing like what it is in grace. How much more we in grace behold the glory of God. The example is given, but it is to show that that was just typifying under the law what was to become the utter reality for believers under God's grace that we behold the glory of Christ Jesus. And thus, as we behold that glory, we are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of our God. 
Now, just what do we see? What are we to look for when we look to the glory of Christ? What was it that believers of old looked for in beholding the glory of God? What did Jonathan Edwards look for? What did the men in 1904 in the Great Wales Revival look for? What were they looking for? What do believers look for to behold the glory of Christ. We study in the scripture to see what we behold. If we look at the scriptures, we see that the apostle John explained that Isaiah already saw the glory of God high lifted up and his train filled the temple. He already saw the glory of God, the prophet Isaiah, and he explained it in Isaiah chapter 6 showing forth the nature of our God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The thrice holy nature of our God. That is what we behold in Christ Jesus. The thrice holy nature of our God, who is like unto thee, Lord among gods. Who shall not fear thee and glorify thy name, for thou only art holy? This is what Isaiah saw, the holiness of God. And this is how he was undone. And how he himself came to God's grace way back in Old, in time, uh, Old Testament times. This is how Isaiah himself was undone. And we are undone as we behold the, the, the holiness of our God. We see that we are destitute before we are saved. We are dead in trespasses and sins, utterly unholy in our thoughts, our actions, and our deeds. Dead spiritually. And as believers, incapacitated in every way, like Paul explains again and again in Romans 7. We are utterly destitute of advancing in holiness without his grace. But with his grace, we can behold the holiness of God in the face of Jesus Christ and drink from that grace because by God's grace, we also are sanctified, not only saved. It is already summarized in those wonderful verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. Created unto good works that we should, that he foreordained that we should walk in them. Eight and nine explain how dead people come to life, spiritually dead. Verse 10 explains how we are revived. By God's grace, by the all holy God pouring forth his grace. It is what he has foreordained. This is his plan. So we're coming into God's purposes as we behold the holiness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
we stand on his promise that he has foreordained good works, that we should walk in them. He has foreordained that we should be sanctified also by grace. The great mistake of grace churches is that they would look upon sanctification as totally a work of God. Yes, we do cooperate, but it is for and foremost the grace of God to sanctify us. Those that he has sanctified them, he glorifies. Finally, we're glorified and totally sanctified in heaven, and we're sanctified in this life by grace. And we look to that divine holiness of God for his grace to be poured into our hearts, that measuring ourselves on the holiness of God and Christ's own holiness, that we would be motivated to grow in holiness and grace, and that we would pray for that explicitly, personally in our lives. It is really interesting as we study revivals across the world It is the ordinary men and women in congregations and and sometimes even outside of congregations where there was no church praying and looking to be purified and to be filled with God's Spirit again and again. But this is where the biblical principle begins. We behold the glory of Christ as he shows forth the all-holy God. And this is... This is the basis where we begin, and this is the, the, the wonder of God's grace, the all-holy God pouring forth his spirit by his power that we would be sanctified. The second great characteristic of God that we Behold and see as we gaze at the glory of Christ so that we may be changed from glory to glory even by the Spirit of God is that characteristic that is so highlighted in the Word of God for believers. In 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle John tells us explicitly God is love. This is his essential nature. The essential nature of God is love. It means that we are seeing God as all gracious, all loving, all tender and kind to his people. Everything that spells graciousness and love This is the nature of our God. Humankind could never know this. Humankind can never know God as love except in beholding that love in Christ as Christ has revealed it. He who was in the bosom of the Father has revealed the nature of the Father and the Father's nature is essentially the God of love. And here again we have an amazing balance of divine revelation 
because we're shown that that God of love shows forth his wrath against the unrighteousness. And how do we balance that? How can we know that God hates sin and unrighteousness? He hates it and he shows forth his wrath upon those who are in unrighteousness and at the same time be the God of love. It's as we read on in chapter in chapter um, 4 that we are told of 1 John that in this was manifest the love of God towards us because he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. It was in this way because we do not deserve it because as sinners before we were saved we were dead in sins that he manifested his love to us. He manifests his love towards his chosen ones. He manifests his love towards those that he had called before the foundation of the world. Now somebody is asking out there, how do I know that I'm chosen? How do I know that I'm one of his people? He shows forth, manifests his love to his people. The fact that you desire to know God and the desire that you are listening to this message, that the fact that you desire to know more of God's holiness and of his love shows that God had chosen you. You would not be desiring it were it not. So fear not. This is for his own yes. But if you are desiring it, it is because he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. And for those of us already in Christ, we pray that we would know that divine power to rest on his love. It is, I think, the most precious truth in Scripture. It's something that I read again and again, and like I put my head on the pillow at night, I try to rest on the love of God. And in my ardent desire to pray for personal revival in my own heart and in our own church and those that I know, is that in the midst of my desire that I can rest on the love of God. Because this is the source of all revival, is the God of all love the God of all graciousness. It's his love. It's his manifesting of Christ Jesus. It's his sending forth of Christ Jesus from his bosom to you and to me. That's where it all begins. And while we wrestle and pray and yearn, we at the same time rest. We rest in his love as he rests in his love for us. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with love. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. I quote this part of Zephaniah that the Puritans again and again quoted as they wish to rest on the love of God and to behold the glory of God and the face of Christ Jesus. 
the very text that was used by Jonathan Flavel and John Owens and many of the other great Puritans looking for revival. They looked to the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ in knowing the God of love. And so this is the, the showing forth of what it is to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I was just reading on, on the Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' account of Jonathan Edwards way back, you know, the time of the Great Revival. And it's Jonathan Edwards, he gives a direct quote from his writings, got off his horse and was, you know, going over God's word to see exactly what it was, where his heart was centered. And Jonathan Edwards talked about the glory of Christ, but as our mediator. It warmed my heart to see this because I said this is fine focusing what we've already seen. It is where we have to really draw courage and heart. We behold the holiness of God. We behold his love. But how are we to as it were, draw from these things to be changed from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. We are to have courage to do that because we know that the glory of Christ that is typified in the New Testament and shown forth is his glory as mediator, as representing us. He was not simply glorified before the Father in heaven. He was glorified as mediator, as representing us. It was as representing you and me before the glory of God in heaven and his holiness, the Father, that Christ Jesus in his humanity, in his humanity, receives the utter fullness and the promised Holy Spirit as representing us. And so Edwards had put his finger on the, the glory of Christ as our mediator. That's what gives us confidence. He is our mediator. He is the one who represents us. He is the one who has taken our place. He is glorified so that we may receive of him. How I encourage myself on this text is by memorizing Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And of his fullness he received, and of I've memorized it, but let me read it word for word in case I get too excited. <laughs> Colossians chapter 2, verse uh, 9 and 10. And in him dwelleth all the fullness of the God bodily. That's in our mediator. In him dwells all the fullness of God bodily. 
That's us, our mediator. And ye are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And then Paul applies it to you, the believer. You are complete in him. You are absolutely replenished in Christ Jesus, in that fullness. Of his grace we have received, grace upon grace, the Apostle John tells us. Is that your daily experience? That you receive grace by grace daily? Have you comprehended what it is to behold the glory of Christ in his holiness, in demonstrating forth the love of God and as your representative, showing forth that he represents you. This is the very fountainhead of all revival, that we behold the glory of Christ representing us in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is what should hearten us that we, we know that this is, this is exactly where it all begins. The very first revival spoken of in the New Testament was the day of Pentecost. And at Pentecost, we're told that the apostle Peter preached. And in the key verse, Acts 2, 33, Therefore being at the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promised Holy Ghost, he hath sent forth that which ye now see and hear. being exalted at God's right hand. That is, our mediator is exalted at God's right hand. And as our mediator, he has received the promised Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit we need to be revived, to be revived in our personal lives as sanctified in our desire to give the gospel to the lost day by day in supermarkets, gas stations, and every place we meet people on the phone or by emails, that we are giving the word of truth day by day unto others, how by the Spirit of God, the promised Holy Spirit, that which you see and hear. It was those words that made such an impression on the Puritans. I praise God that the Puritans were those who kept going the fire of the Reformation revival the longest. And I think it was because they were beholding the glory of God. I'm indebted in presenting this message this morning to volume one of John Owen's writings. Chapter after chapter in beholding the glory of God. As published by the Banner of Truth, the, the total works of John Owen, I'm indebted 
the same John Owen, like John Flavel, who personally desired to see this. And how they would pray. How they would pray things like we might just glance over it in our psalm book, Psalm 48, verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of our God. A simple verse, but a verse that inspired many to pray as they would read Acts 2.38 and see that was demonstrated so that people could see and hear. They could see that lives were changed. They could see that their own lives were changed and that people were coming to salvation. So people like John Flavel and John Owen would pray that they one day could say, as, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of our God. Can you dare to take that prayer to make it your own that one day you could pray in thanksgiving? Psalm 48, verse 8. As we have heard, so we have seen that God has indeed poured out his spirit. It's not just reading of Jonathan Edwards and not just reading of Evan Roberts in 19... Oh, nine in Wales, or all those young Welsh coal miners who praised God till the tears came down their cheeks and you could see lines on their cheeks who had been blackened with the coal dust of praising and worshipping God. The ordinary young men in the coal mines touched by the Spirit of God in 1909 and the years that followed. Can we pray that we would see and know as did the people of old? It is quite amazing that the same apostles desired revival some days later again as they had been suffered, suffering for the sake of Christ and as they were coming under the first great persecution by the Sanhedrin and the Jews, they prayed again, looking to the glorified Christ as exemplified in Psalm 2. And we find this in Acts chapter 4, you know, going on from verse 24 right down to where they prayed that God would give them the boldness to speak forth the word again and the Holy Spirit came upon them so that they could see and hear and see his power again in their midst. They were beholding the promises given in the glorified Lord representing us, representing us. That is our birthright as Christians. That we understand the glorified Christ Jesus, we understand him glorified in our place. He is the head of the church. He is 
the head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in him all things might have preeminence. And it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And of his fullness we have received grace upon grace, as the Apostle John says. And if we are children and heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, so that if we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. As we suffer and contend for the faith, as we suffer and plead with God that we would be purified day by day as individual members of this church, whatever church we belong to, that we would see the power of God manifest because we are resting on our representative who has received the promised Holy Spirit representing us. And the Holy Spirit is what is to be sent, who, who it is to be sent forth into our lives. Our lives are hid with Christ in God. It is Christ's desire that he may present a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. We live in a day of extreme apostasy right across the Western world and across the rest of the world, Islam and all types of cults. And we are destitute of what it is to face these things. It is as if you just could throw up your hands and say it's, it's, it's hopeless. What do we do? How, how can we manage what, what, what is possible in our day? It's not just that we have these cults and Islam, but we have in what's called the evangelical world things like the emerging church, the purpose-driven church, and all these mega-churches that glorify man and man's ways and that are abomination before God. We have the coming home network of, of, of Protestant ministers who've becoming, uh, become uh, Catholics, and it is big in, in most cities in the United States and big on the Internet, this coming home network where they are showing forth ritualism and sacramentalism as if it were the answer to Christianity. We have so many of these wicked movements going on that it takes too long to give an account of them. We know we live in days of utter barrenness. What do we do? What is the message of the Lord? Where do we turn? If you turn in your Bible to Romans 5, we find, we find an answer to what our present situation is as we behold our birthright Christ representing us, what are the great promises that we turn to? What is the, the word in which we stand? Because we've got to be realistic. We live in a city, or you live in a city here in Toronto where there's so many nationalities, there's so much of 
paganism and wickedness and false Christianity, what do we do? We see what the Lord's God, God says in, in Romans chapter 5. And we're told in verse 20, But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin was manifest and wickedness and apostasy and all types of evil, grace did much more abound. And that's not just past tense of what a way it was in the past. That's the way it has been in revivals. That people looked to their representative and that sin was abounding and they looked to their representative to send forth his spirit that grace would much more abound. And the very principle that the chapter finishes, verse 21 that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Talk about a clarion call. We will not be daunted by persecution. We will not be daunted by apostasy. We know that our God reigns. We pray that we would see the need for personal revival and have a great desire to give the word. We pray for those divine appointments that God only can set up where he gives us to witness to the lost. Again and again I have prayed that the Lord would open up to me a time where I know his hand is in this. I was coming back from New York one time and myself and my wife prayed for a divine appointment on the airplane and after I witnessed to this corpulent rich American sitting beside me and uh, felt a little bit embarrassed and he was quiet for 10 minutes when I was speaking he said just one question he said is God on my case and I looked at him and he took a tract out of his pocket. You see the lady in the middle seat over there? When I got in the plane, she gave me this. It was a gospel tract. And then I started giving him ultimate questions, explaining the holiness of God. Is God on my case? From what he explained afterwards and how he listened, I will be, I will be surprised if I do not see him in glory. This is an ordinary brother in the Lord praying to see God touch the lost. At gas station, on the telephone, as the UPS man comes to your door, as they deliver something from the supermarket to you, whatever it is, as you meet people day by day, do you give the gospel to the lost? Have you got an ardent desire? That is the way in, in Acts 8, it was the ordinary people of the church that went forth and they saw God bring in his people. It's God's people moving out in daily life that take revival and purification into the hearts of society. And this is our great desire, that we would behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ 
We will behold his holiness. We will behold his love. We would be encouraged that our birthright is that he represents us. And that we would be changed from glory to glory, day by day, even by the Spirit of the Lord. This is our desire and this is our prayer. And I pray that this would be realized day by day. And that more and more we can pray in praise and thanksgiving as we see God answer prayer and change us. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of our God, in our homes, in our church, so we have seen. We see our God is moving. And we give him the praise, the glory, and the worship. We exalt him, the one true God. We exalt Christ Jesus, the glory of whom we draw from, but we exalt him. All praise, glory, worship, and honor be to him. As he sends forth his spirit, all praise be to him, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Praise God. If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.